Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually, these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey friends, welcome back to this Apostolic Music Season 3. We are so excited that this season is helping us spread the word about this podcast and add some new listeners to our audience. If you found us through one of our guests this season, welcome. We are thrilled you are here. I hope you'll take a minute to scroll back through our past episodes. Season 2 was all about global missions. And then our original season was a grab bag of topics ranging from women in ministry to dealing with shame, addiction, racism, sex. We've talked about a lot of different subjects with some truly amazing guests. I'm confident that you will find something that will get you thinking, spark a conversation, and let you know you aren't alone. Today, I'm chatting with Jeremy and Jamin Hart. Let me tell you, this couple is a dynamic ministry duo. They both sing, write and record music. Jamin is the author of two books with one more in the works, and Jeremy is a fantastic preacher. They currently travel around the country as full-time evangelists, and I am so grateful they had the time in their schedule to chat with me. I know you're going to be blessed by their story and their heart for ministry and music. So without further ado, let's get right to my conversation with Jeremy and Jamin Hart. Jeremy and Jamin Hart, welcome to Good Question. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting us. Very excited to talk to you guys today. I love it whenever I get to inter- uh, interview a couple and hear sort of how you guys work together, how you um, collaborate together, and you guys do music and ministry together. So I'm excited to hear all about about the way you guys handle all of those things. We'll start off with letting you introduce yourselves. You can, whoever wants to go first, um, just tell me a little bit about who you are. Well, my name is Jeremy Hart, and I was born and raised in Muskogee, Oklahoma, a pastor's kid, and just raised around ministry. In all reality, that that's all I've ever known. But that being the case, that that was really where all of my own personal dreams and aspirations were set was was in doing what I knew and wanting to be involved in, in the work of God. So that was the context in which I was raised when I graduated high school. I had always had, since about the fifth or sixth grade, I had always had an interest in uh, graphic design. And in fact, as early as fifth and sixth grade, I can remember making uh, business cards and revival invitations on uh, a software that I'm sure is completely obsolete now, but it's called Print Shop. (laughs) But at fifth grade, sixth grade, I was doing that um, just out of an interest so when I graduated high school, uh, I went to OSUIT in Okmulgee and got a graphic design degree. And during that time, when I was in college, I started traveling and evangelizing part-time, mostly in Oklahoma, went out of state uh, occasionally, but primarily it was in the state of Oklahoma, go out on weekends and then be in class at 8 a.m. on Monday. Hmm. And so I got the graphic design degree and about a month and a half 
before graduation. Uh, I was graduating in December of 2011. And why I didn't uh, think of this or realize sooner that I had a decision to make, for whatever reason, about a month, month and a half before graduation, I realized that I was going to have to either get a job in the graphic design industry. And of course, the program that I was graduating from was certainly pushing for that understandably so. Uh, They were lining up interviews uh, for all of us. And I had always felt since mid-teen years that evangelizing was something the Lord wanted me to do um, at some point. And uh, so I suddenly realized that that most likely the two were not going to go hand in hand, that I would not have the freedom to travel and do what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do if I was going to have to be in an office Hmm. at a desk Monday through Friday. So there was a series of, of things that, that just happened in a matter of a few weeks that, that let me know that the Lord was pulling me in the direction of not necessarily taking a design job, but committing myself to traveling and just seeing where he would lead and what doors he would open. And so I did that, started evangelizing full-time New Year's weekend of 2012, and um, started doing freelance graphic design work just on the side uh, because I could I could do that wherever travel took me. That was um, almost 10 and a half years ago now mm. um, since I started traveling. And throughout that 10 and a half years, just with every year that goes by, uh, ministry schedule is it just gets busier and busier. I still do graphic design work on the side from time to time. I've got my hands in, in enough stuff now that I, I do have to take seasons of rest from that mm. uh, just because I get spread too thin. But yeah, that's that's kind of the snapshot, I guess you could say, of of my life story. Yeah. How about you, Damon? Well, I was born and raised in a little town called Moose Lake, Minnesota. <laughs> Not many people know where that is, I am sure. But I was a pastor's kid and I loved it. My story is pretty similar to Jeremy. I just I loved music. I loved every part of ministry, helping my parents. And my mom, she would play and sing and lead worship from the keyboard every service. And I just thought that was amazing. I wanted I wanted to do that. And by age six, I was already trying to write songs for the church. And they were just <laughs> terrible, but I just wanted to be involved. And so music and my parents were great about just getting us girls involved. I had two sisters. So we were very involved with even sometimes testifying and singing and leading worship and playing the piano. My mom got us in piano lessons. She would drive quite a ways to take us to it. It was an apostolic lady who was just incredible. And I always wanted to go to Bible college. I had other interests when I got older and the couple years before I was going to college, I started working with in-home care, special needs clients. And I was passionate about that. I was passionate about even physical therapy and working with them. But I always, at the end of the day, I just wanted to go to Bible college. And I Mm -hmm. felt like really that's, my heart was full-time ministry. That was my heart. And that is where God was calling me and the doors just opened. And he, every single year, I went all four years to Indiana Bible College, graduated with my bachelor's. And every year God would just financially provide and make a way and every year confirm that that's where he wanted me to be. Mm. I love that. The the thing that I'm hearing that's similar between both of your stories is that 
you get to a point where you have to make a decision. There are certain there are certain things in life that we can like we can have our hand in, in a, a few different things at the same time. Um, but at, certain, at a certain place, we have to decide like, OK, one of these things has got to be the primary thing. I can't like Jeremy, you're saying you're spread too thin. You can't do everything, at least not well. Yeah. And right. so you have to make a decision. And I love how you said both of you, like when you made that decision that I'm going to pursue this ministry path, then God comes through and confirms that in Yes, events yes. that happens in, prov- in provision, financial provision. Yeah, I've, I have a very similar story in Jamin that the Lord provided for me um, semester by semester to to go through college without having to take out too much debt. And it's just amazing when you look back and see how the Lord has just directed you kind of step by step. Right. How did you guys end up meeting and and deciding that you were going to join forces? Jeremy is pointing to me to this question. <laughs> it will be much more interesting if she tells this. Oh, I have to hold back without telling every single detail. <laughs> so we met, I was a senior at IBC. Jeremy was already full-time evangelizing for years. And uh, we ended up meeting at a general conference in Indianapolis. And we had mutual friends. So we ended up in the same group. And we ended up sitting across from each other <laughs> and talking. And, oh, we it took a few months, but he ended up messaging me on Facebook a few months later. There's so much to this story. I knew, I told my friend, like he hadn't even messaged me. We had just met at the restaurant that night, but I told my friend a couple months later, I, I just knew he was my ideal. He was, mm-hmm. he was everything I wanted. I hardly knew him and I just knew it. Well... One day I was praying at IBC in my room and I was just pouring out my little heart to the Lord. And I'm like, oh God, you know what I want. I want a man who just pray with me on my knees. And it was so clear. I felt like the Lord said, Jeremy Hartwell. Mm. It was so clear. He had never, he hadn't even messaged me yet. Like nothing but it was so clear. I jumped up and I ran down to one of my friend's dorm rooms and I said, I, I think I'm going to marry Jeremy Hart. <laughs> Which I quickly learned you don't share some of those mm. intimate God moments because mm. it just sounded so ridiculous because he had never messaged me. We had only met and talked just briefly at that restaurant. And so I'm just like, oh my goodness, like I, I just felt it so strong. Well, at that same time, my husband was at, because of the times, and he was praying, and he felt like the Lord had spoke to him and told him to pursue me. Mm. And so he messaged me right after that on Facebook, and we started our first phone conversation. It was all about like writing songs and ministry, mm. and right there is is how we connected. I love that. So. He came to see me two months later, as soon as his schedule was free to come visit me. We knew after the first date, I called my mom. He called his best friend in Oklahoma. And we both were like, we're, we're going to marry them. We dated for four months. We were engaged for three. And then wow. <laughs> got married. It was fast. We just knew. We knew. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. I love that. So Jeremy, Jamin told me a little bit about her growing up and writing songs as a young person. And I know because as an Oklahoma kid myself, we both grew up in the same district, but yeah. I, I know you were writing songs and recording music at, at a fairly young age as well. 
I watched it from the outside, but you tell me from your perspective about your journey into writing and recording music. So music was a big part of, of uh, I guess, our, our family, our, our home. My parents pastored alongside my grandparents in Muskogee. And my dad does not sing, but my mom uh, does, plays piano and sings. Her parents, who they pastored with there, they both uh, sang. Nana played the organ and the accordion. And I think my grandparents probably had as many or more songbooks than they did Bibles. And they had a lot of Bibles. <laughs> so music was a big part of our family. I've even got a lot of old records mm-hmm. uh, that that belong to my Nana and Papa, but but even quite a few that were my great grandpa's. Hmm. He, wait years ago, I never met him. Um, Earl Lowe was his name, was not a, a preacher, but played the guitar, sang, taught Sunday school. And so for, for generations, really, on both sides, sang and preached in schoolhouses, brush arbors all over ne- northeastern Oklahoma. And I've got, I've got songbooks that, that belong to them. So Music has, has uh, always been a part of, of, of our family for generations. So I, I, there's pictures of me uh, singing in church probably as early as three and four years old. I can remember, I think I was about seven years old uh, when I wrote what I called my first song. Yeah. My dad was preaching, I believe it was a Sunday evening uh, in Poto, Oklahoma the pastor that was there at that time. And it was during that service that I got out my pen and paper. And when most kids would draw pictures, I decided to write a song. Hmm. And um, with music being such a big part of of who we were, um, that just kind of lit a fire in me, I guess, and immediately became a passion. And um, for the most part, Southern gospel music was, was what we sang at our church. That's what uh, my parents listened to uh, for the most part mm-hmm. in our home. So so that became what I was exposed to. And so just continually, I would write songs. A lot of times it would be during church. A lot of times it would be based upon whatever the preacher was preaching. And um, it just became a huge passion, uh, writing and singing. And uh, I believe I was 15 and a pastor there in Oklahoma. Rick Phillips had a small studio in a small building out behind his house. And um, I actually went and and recorded uh, there for the first time. I didn't record anything that I had written, just uh, leased tracks and recorded a project that way. And um, so that was the beginning as far as recording goes. I was 15. I had no business recording (laughs) a CD um, at 15. We don't sell those. For obvious reasons, and um, anyway, I, I had no business recording. You could obviously tell my voice was not fully developed, and I was completely untrained. I had no business recording, but it was a start. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people were very gracious and supportive and kind. And about a year after that, two years maybe, we met a guy by the name of Matthew Holt, who at the time was playing piano for. Um, a Southern gospel group called the Perrys. And it was really a God-ordained happening. Uh, We didn't really go into it with any kind of expectations of of meeting him. We were at a concert 
that the Perrys were doing at a, I believe it was a church. And after the concert was over, my dad walked up to Matthew at their product table and just really just starting the conversation. But he asked him if he ever did any uh, studio work playing or producing. And he told my dad that he had just started doing a little bit of it. And uh, long story short, we we stood there, probably talked to Matthew for a good hour and a half, probably that night, and um, told him that I had you know recorded some cover songs, but had had written songs and and hoped one day to be able to record the songs that I had written. And uh, so, in just talking and getting to know him a little bit that evening, toward the end of the conversation, right before we we left, he told us that that afternoon he had had a conversation with his dad on the phone and his dad if i remember correctly his dad had told him how proud he was of him playing piano for the southern gospel group living his dream and matthew uh had told his dad that afternoon he was thankful to be doing that and was thankful for all of the people that had made his dreams come true Hmm. and given him a chance and Matthew said this that day to his dad. He said, if I ever get the chance to help someone else get started, then I want to do everything I can to help them. And it was that evening that that uh, that was that was nearly 15 years ago, I guess. Wow. 13 years ago. And so all the recording that I have done time, uh, six or seven projects, I guess, um, has produced. Uh, now he plays piano for the Gaither Vocal Band. Wow. Um, so he, he's... Uh, absolutely incredible uh, musician and great friend of ours but it was it was absolutely a god thing um how we met the lord uh brought our paths together and and there, there's no doubt that musically i've did several projects before jamie and i got married we've done two we've been married but undoubtedly uh musically we would not have uh, anywhere near the, what we have as far as the the projects the quality right Without Matthew Holt, he's, he's just uh, been a godsend and a big part of our music ministry. Wow. Again, like the Lord just directs our steps. It's such a such a cool, what some would call a coincidence, but we know is not a coincidence, that the Lord puts you in, in the right places at the right times to meet the right people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's certainly something to be said for the the desires and the calling that the Lord will put on our lives. But yet it's more than that because... Any calling, any kingdom passion that is put it upon us or in our lives by the Lord, we have to take up the personal responsibility to to pursue after that. Yeah, and I think it is it is in the pursuing of that calling or that passion that at that point God begins to bring things in alignment, put people in our path, and put favor upon our efforts. Yeah. Um, but I think sometimes. We want all the pieces to fall in place mm. up front. And like I said, I had no business recording it at 15 years old. Um, it's terrible. I'll burn. I burn every, every <laughs> one of the seeds that I can get my hands on. Um, but, but it was a start. Mm. It's like the, the lady talked about in Mark chapter 14, I believe it is, who came and anointed the feet of Jesus. Jesus spoke of her sacrifice and worship and said she had done what she could. Mm. Others mocked it and others didn't understand it. Others made fun of it, but it was what she could do. Yeah, And I think that is one of the most important things, especially for a young person 
with whatever talent they have, with whatever ability or, or even calling, uh, whatever passion they have. Uh, it's not as simple as just, okay, God gave me this passion. God gave me this calling. When is my record deal coming? Mm. You got to start where you are and you just got to simply do what you can. If that's taking your guitar down to the nursing home and singing for them, <laughs> I did that many, many times. And it's just, it, it's what you can do. Yeah. The many Sundays that I went to a, a homeless shelter in downtown Muskogee and would sing for 20, 25 minutes and, and preach for about 30 minutes. There wasn't a lot of benefits to that. There, I, I can't say that anybody got the Holy Ghost. Most, most of them were asleep most of the time, but you do what you can do. Yeah. And so for, for any young person that may be listening, I can't emphasize enough the importance of starting where you are, taking whatever talent, ability, or calling God's put up on your life, and just find some way to do what you can where you are, because God will then bless that, and God will open other doors as you walk through the doors that have been placed before you and opened by the Lord. Yeah, we've talked about something similar um, in the past on other episodes when you're talking about people who feel called to ministry and how important it is to be faithful and to be available. And, you know, the opportunities come to the people who are around when the need arises. Right. So, so if you're not, if you're not active and involved, um, you're not going to be there when, when the opportunity presents itself, but also like you were saying, using the talent that God gave you. I think all the time about that, the parable of the talents and how easy it is to think like, I, I have this ability and I have this desire. I, I mean, I even had the same uh, kind of thought process around the podcast. Like, I feel like this is what God wants me to do. I think I have an idea for it. And then you get hung up in your own mind around your own insecurity of who do I think I am? Sure. How, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to make a podcast. Sure. Who's going to want to listen to me talk about anything? You know, all of these thoughts get can wrap you up until you're paralyzed and you don't do what God is asking you to do. But the thing is, you can't, like you said, you can't make a record if you don't practice playing the guitar. You know what I mean? Like you're never going to be able to yeah. to get up and sing on a stage or in, on a platform if you're not comfortable singing in front of a bunch of people that are asleep. You know what I mean? Like you have to practice, yeah. you have to, you have to build those muscles somewhere and you have to, you have to show the Lord, like I'm willing, I'm willing to use what you're giving me. Yeah, absolutely. And I know your season uh, is is on the topic of abstract music, so I, I'm trying to make sure I stay in that vein. But whether it's music or men, any kind of ministry at all, I think one of the biggest ways that young people especially get discouraged is they put too much emphasis on the opinions of people mm-hmm. or the things that people may say. I mean, again, when I was 15 years old, bringing my terrible CD to camp meeting in Oklahoma, there were plenty of people making fun of a 15-year-old kid singing Southern Gospel music. Mm. But, you know, it, it, like I said a while ago, it was my starting place. And it's just, certainly music is known to be a vulnerable thing, especially when you're singing your own songs. Mm. Uh, it's very vulnerable to take something that you created and let someone hear it. Uh, any, any type of creative person, by and large, is, is going to be of concerning anything they have created. Yeah. And some people are going to love what you do. Other people are not going to like what you do. Some people are going to love your style of music. Other people are going to hate it. Hmm. Some people are going to love that song and tell you that it's a 
number one hit, other somebody else will come right behind them and tell them that's trash. Don't don't ever sing that again. Yeah. And obviously there comes a point where feedback can be used for our good and we can take that and be sharpened by it. Yet at the same time, sometimes we kind of have to not be detoured and discouraged by everything people say and everything people do and just do what we feel like we're supposed to be doing, whatever God has called us to do, you do it as unto the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I can, I can only imagine. I mean, I also grew up in a family where Southern gospel music was what was being played and sung. And I think as we were growing up in Oklahoma, that was kind of the predominant music that we heard at church. And so as, as that has shifted and changed over the years, do you find your style shifting and changing or do you feel pretty um, connected to that specific style of music? Do you see a place for that still in the church? Like, how does that, how do you wrap your brain around the way that music as, as a whole in apostolic music, it seems like our shift has been away from that. So how do you balance all that for yourself? Yeah. So I, I think apostolic music as a whole is, you know, a hodgepodge of, of everything. Uh, there's, there's always going to be different genres. There's always going to be different styles. And I think the, just as the body of Christ is, is made up of different members and, and we're all different, we all bring something of value to the, the body of Christ. I think the same is to be said of, of music. Music is a product of humanity. Like, I mean, the concept of music, certainly man did not create, but the songs we sing, the melodies we play, that, that's all man-made, man-created, man-thought. And so there's going to be variety there, which I, I think is good. In our own music, we don't even really consider our, if we had to put a label on the style of music that Jamin and I sing, I don't know that I would consider it Southern Gospel. Uh, we still do songs that, that certainly are considered Southern Gospel, but we also do a lot of stuff that is considered praise and worship. Mm. A lot of it has more of a contemporary sound uh, because Jamin, being raised in Minnesota, Southern gospel music wasn't such a big thing up there. Yeah, I was a, not raised on Southern gospel. That's so funny. So our style now is more of just kind of a a, a gospel style, and it could could have a country influence. It could have a worship influence. Mm-hmm. It could have... There's even a few songs that have maybe a little bit of a, a black gospel musical influence. Of course, I can't, <laughs> I can't sing like uh, Donnie McClurkin. <laughs> but there's a yeah. there's a um, collectivity there, and I think apostolic music is going to naturally evolve over time as society and culture changes. You know, musical trends generation to generation have always changed. I mean, you, I'll let Jamin kind of speak to the to that a little bit, but you you you. Consider that what 40, I'm trying to get my timeline right, 40, 50 years ago, He Touched Me was con- by Bill Gaither was considered a Christian contemporary song. Yeah. <laughs> and now that's viewed as a, you know, a, almost a hymn in some regards, in the least, a, a Southern gospel classic. Yeah. Whereas it was new, it was not that at all. Yeah. Uh, so it's always going to be that, that changing mm-hmm. of music. Styles, but I think as far as apostolic music goes, the style is not nearly as as important as the message. And and certainly in apostolic music, there's a, a great importance of writing our doctrine into mm. lyrics. Yes, and that that is along with with the anointing 
that is what sets apostolic music apart from any other uh, type of Christian music is we sing what we believe. Yeah. And I think it's so easy for us to snub something that isn't our style. So I was raised on black gospel and Christian contemporary music. But then when I married Jeremy, obviously we're on the road all the time. So he introduced me to the whole world of Southern gospel music. And I I saw the the talent and the beauty and the value in it. When before, if, if you don't really know anything about it, you can get this preconceived idea in your yeah. head. But I remember we had just been married. I think it was in February. We were staying at an evangelist quarters. And we went downstairs one day to their sanctuary and Jeremy showed me a song he was writing, Washed by the Blood, on the piano, and he had not written the bridge yet. That was our first song that we collaborated on, wrote together. And I remember writing writing the bridge on that, helping him write the bridge on that. And I think like even right there, it was cool to see our two styles yeah, they, coming together because yeah. it was almost more contemporary worshipful on that and but yeah it's with apostolic music it's it's the word of god it's 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 worship and so they do they can blend more easily than people realize it for us it, it happened really organically yeah i think that's i think that's really good and i think also it's what it's what you're used to and what you're like you said like what you're aware of so this is just like a kind of a random story that's a little bit off topic, but whenever I had my first daughter, I was, I experienced some pretty severe anxiety right after she was born. And it was so severe that like, I couldn't listen even to worship music. It would just, it was like grating on my nerves, which was very jarring to me. You know, you're laying there thinking like, I need something to give me calm and peace. And so I'm going to turn on, you know, this like praise and worship playlist that I have or station that I have. And it's, and it's making it worse. And I was like, okay, I got to listen to something because I can't lay here in silence. And I ended up finding an old gospel quartet playlist on Spotify and turned on the cathedral quartet. And I don't know if it was just because it it took me back to being a kid yeah. or what, but for a little while, that was all I could listen to. Wow. And it calmed me down and it helped me like to be able to kind of be like, okay, everything's going to be all right. And I just find that so interesting because I hadn't listened to that in years. And my husband is not, a, you know, has not, didn't grow up on, on it as much as I did and isn't as big of a fan of it as I might be. And so it just hadn't been something that I had turned on in a while, but it brought me peace yep. in that moment because it connected me to when I was a kid. It's just a very, it's, there's a place for all of it. Yeah. Sure. Yes. And it can speak to us in different times. Exactly. I think sometimes we can get a little too caught up in, well, that, I want nothing to do with that or. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think there's a beauty in in so many different types of music. And um, matter of fact, uh, in just playing different music and artists that I grew up listening to uh, for Damon, introducing her to some of that, there were times where I would turn it on. I would say, have you ever heard this artist? She would say no, but I'd turn a song on. And about the time the chorus came in, she'd say, oh, my mom used to sing that song or... Mm -hmm. We, we, we sung that at my church. And I, yeah. She had no idea had no it was lumped idea. under the umbrella of, of quote-unquote Southern Gospel. Right. Yeah. I, and especially now, you notice, you'll, I, I've, you notice it as more, you'll hear a song recorded by one place and then someone else picks it up and they do it a little bit different. 
and then someone else right. picks it up. I'm thinking about um, what is the song uh, that came it came out of Bethel Music, "The Goodness of God," and then yeah. you've had different different versions of that song being recorded in every different style. Um, yeah, which I just think is so cool because we can we can all um, benefit from the 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 words of that song. The message of that song is powerful. Um, and you can find whatever style you like. <laughs> Someone's recorded it. We recorded it on our last CD. <laughs> I love that song. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I love it so much. It's timeless for sure. It really is. Well, so we've talked about, you mentioned how you guys started collaborating the first time on a song and how your styles have kind of blended and, and um, become something all of, all of its own. So in the practicalities of writing music and doing ministry, you guys each were doing that separately and then you got married and now you're traveling and and doing that together. Have you had to change any of your processes? Have you had to try to modify the way you go about doing any of those things to to collaborate better, to support each other in marriage? I would say how I have always, which is, I know this is different, I'm sure than everybody writes differently, how I normally have gotten a song has been all at once it'll be in a prayer time it's when i'm just praying at at the church and i'm sitting at the piano playing the piano and it is like the the holes i just start singing it i start playing it and singing it onto the lord and it's all at once so i'll write it down and what jeremy has really helped me with and supported me is he so the feeler in me wants to take that and it's it's obviously just vulnerable and raw and i just you know here it is the song is here but jeremy is so good about saying how can we make that even better Mm. and so since we've been married now i will pretty much get the whole song but i type out the lyrics i spend time going through each line how how can i perfect this basically how Mm. how can i make this better it's not just inspiration it's hard work too. Mm. That is something he really helped and supported me with. And I just, I run everything. We run everything past each other with song lyrics or whatever it may be. And what one doesn't think of the other one seems to think of. And so that style of writing for me has stayed the same. And yet I, I, I would say he's really helped me with seeing how I can do to make it better. Yeah. Both uh, our songwriting styles are are really completely different, which works to our advantage because it brings something different when we both come and sit down and start mm-hmm. working on it together. As Jamin said, when she's writing, she goes straight to the piano, and I, I would say her her songwriting style is more music uh, and emotion driven. Yes, I write all the slow ones. He writes all the fast yeah. ones. Mine are just emotional worship. Yeah, hers are music and and emotional driven. I I have written songs at the piano, but I don't need a piano. I can function just as well, you know, just driving down the road. Or I've I've written many songs driving or sitting in my recliner. And my writing style tends to be more lyric driven. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got. I've got a melody in my head, but I'm not playing it out on the piano as I go. And um, I'm 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 focusing on how can I say this in a way that isn't cliched? How can I say this in a way that 
maybe hasn't been said before and not necessarily just jumping straight to the first thing that comes to my head. Hmm. Now, there's pros and cons to both approaches because sometimes when I'm trying to think of something, hmm. it's easy to get caught up in overthinking it. Some could say something in a way in a way that's never been said before because it sounds weird or whatever. So both of us bring these these different approaches together and it it certainly has made our music as a whole better because it's certainly more rounded. Right. I definitely bring the it's just more I guess I bring at least two of our bridges because for me just the the simplicity of I love simple lyrics, worship lyrics, just feeler lyrics, emotional. And so that is what I, I lean on and bring. And oftentimes it's through the bridge yeah. of the song. I will write the bridge <laughs> of the song. There's two or three songs on our last project that for the most part I wrote the chorus and verses to, but then Damon wrote the bridge and, and really tied it all together. Mm-hmm. Um and I probably would have complicated the bridge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it sounds like a really good balance of you because with like you said, with any kind of creative project, you need the inspiration. When it comes to like music and worship, you need the exactly. emotion, but you also need to make sure that you're doing yeah. things to a level of excellence right. without overthinking them. Yes, <laughs> that's a lot for one person to try to manage. So it's probably good that you have each other to help balance all of that out. Well, and Jamin, you said something that I think that no one else has mentioned this season, but I think it's a really good uh, pointer that I want to emphasize for people. If people are interested and they are desiring to write songs, you talked about praying while you're playing. And I think that's I think that's that has to be a a key that could help someone unlock that part of uh, of what they're wanting to do in songwriting is to combine the two things like don't. Like, like, don't overthink it. Um, mm-hmm. Turn it into worship. Every single song, right? Every single song that I've written that ministers and that has been recorded has always come through just personal time of prayer at at a church where I'm literally just in devotion to Him. It's just Him and I. I'm I'm playing onto the Lord and and it. it it, the whole song becomes deposited in my spirit and it I sing it first to him and and often those are the songs yeah all of the songs I love that I don't play the piano but it's making me want to learn how to play the piano so that I can go so I can go do that it sounds amazing well I mean we have hit on almost everything that I had planned to ask you the, the uh, one of the questions that we're asking everybody this season is about um, your own personal parameters, your own thoughts around collaborating with non-apostolic artists and musicians. You already mentioned um, your producer um, and how you got connected with him. And so talk to me a little bit about about how you navigate um, those kinds of collaborations. So the majority of the people that are involved in our recordings are not apostolics. As I mentioned earlier, um, just the people God brought into our lives uh, many years ago now, they have invested so much and been such uh, become such friends. And so certainly there is nothing that can that can touch apostolic anointing. I mean, it, it, it's unparalleled. However, I, I don't 
necessarily think that on on a project, you know, that every musician, I'm not against every musician being apostolic. I think that's a wonderful thing. But I don't think it necessarily has to be that way. We always approach a project with with much prayer, fasting. We go into a a um, recording session with prayer, and um, I believe the Lord uh, anoints that. I think when, it, when you talk of collaborating apostolics with people of other beliefs, whatever that may be, I think there can be a a danger on our part of of separating ourselves from people, which I think is a detriment mm-hmm. to both parties. Because if if we have been called to to be witnesses, if we have been called to share truth, then why would we separate ourselves from the very ones that need to hear what we have heard and need to experience what we have experienced? Mm-hmm. And um, we've all heard it said when it comes to evangelism that there's no better way to reach someone than to befriend that person, to build a relationship with that person. You don't just knock on their door and take a text and preach a sermon on their porch, but you get get to know that person. (laughs) You build a relationship. And the same is true, I, I think, in music. When you begin to share passions with someone, when you begin to to work together um, and and meet on the common ground of what you both believe. Uh, I think it's a wonderful thing, and it it opens the door for you for, for an apostolic to be able to be a witness and and to sh- share the light. Yeah, I love. I think that's so good. It it makes me think of um, Apollos, right? He had to have someone come along and explain the way more perfectly. And if we're not in relationship with people who have who have sincere faith and are, are doing what they can to use their gifts and callings for the Lord. Um, if we're not in, in relationship with them to be able to discuss, you know, the, the finer points of doctrine where we, di- where we differ. Sure. How, how are they ever going to know? And, and I, I don't want to be misunderstood. There, there is always that, that boundary of uh, no matter who you're involved with, no matter who you're working with, what the platform is, there has got to be the boundary of, well, well, this is what I believe, and there are some things that I will not compromise. Because just just because we may collaborate with someone who doesn't believe the same, there 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 is no compromise at all. And I think that is probably right. a approach that some perhaps may take. That well, if I don't believe the same way as someone, then then I don't want to set myself up for failure. I think apostolics, we've got to have enough confidence in who we are. We've got to know what we believe and not be swayed or not be influenced by anyone else that we may be involved with that may believe differently. And so we stand our ground and apostolic must must know there are truths and there are absolutes in God's word that are just uncompromisable. And those things will not change um, just because somebody involved in a an album may not have the same revelation of Jesus' name that I do doesn't mean we don't sing about the name of Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think an apostolic just has to remain true to who they are, remain true to the apostolic message, while at the same time um, building relationships, friendships, and respect with others to be able to reach them. Yeah, it, I just I just thought of something that um, when you're saying that. So my parents uh, pastored in Cleveland, Oklahoma, mm, yeah. for about 13 years. It's a little town, and the town has a um, 
a community choir that churches from all over the town will get together for special events in the summer and at, I think they do one for the 4th of July and at Christmas time. And they would do a big choir concert. Well, my, my dad yeah. is an excellent singer. My mom is also a good singer. And so they were, people were, they were excited to have them involved. And mom and dad got really involved with this. They had done it several times and they got to be good friends with the lady who led the choir, all of that. Well, a situation came up with, in one of their rehearsals where they were going to sing, uh, what is that song? The doxology mm. yeah. that in is a gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful chorus, except for the one line. Yeah. Right. And so they left the rehearsal and went home and they're like, Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? You know? And dad's like, we are who we are. We, we can't confirm. We, we can't sit up there and sing that. And so they reached out to the, the choir director and said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to back out and not be involved with this concert, whatever. And she's like, what, why? You know? And so dad sits down and explains it to her. And she was like, Oh, well, well, I, be- I believe that. I believe what, you know, and it was just, it was a point of being able to, to, to one, provide revelation of doctrine. And then also she was like, okay, well, well, we'll just, we'll sing something else. We'll sing Amazing Grace. Like we'll, we'll, we'll throw this yeah. out entirely. Um, and it was just a beautiful, um, a beautiful time of being able to, to share and that relationship that they had built over time had allowed them to be able to do that in a way where she wasn't offended. Nobody's feelings got hurt, you know. But again, if we're not in relationship, how are we ever going to have those kinds of conversations with people? Well, are there any other things that I haven't asked that you guys would love to like to share about about music, about ministry, collaboration before we ask you our final question of the show? I don't think so. Our um, our final question of the show is always the same because we are called Good Question. We like to ask everybody who comes on the show, what is a good question that you're asking yourself lately? Well, I would say the question I've been asking myself lately, really the last year or two, is what legacy am I leaving behind me? Am I leaving a legacy behind me? Mm. And realizing, honestly, I just, I want my whole life to be shown in a testimony that living for Jesus is just, it's the most beautiful life. And I love like, anything tangible. Like when we go on vacation or when we go traveling, I love like postcards, stickers, cards. I keep forever handwritten cards. They mean everything to me. And even, and books, if I don't want it on eBooks, I I want the tangible book. And I remember when Jeremy and I, we were, we hadn't been married very long. One day I was talking to him about all of these things and saying how I just, I wanted to write it all so people could just hold it in their hands and, and read, read, you know, my story and different things. And he said, we'll, we'll do it. And it's a long story, but God opened the door for me to write a book. And my second one just came out and I'm working on my third one wow. because I think it is so amazing. Books, books outlive people, like books outlive people. That's yeah. just the truth. Words that can last forever. And so what I've done with each book, each title is actually a title of a song that I've written. And somewhere in the book, I share the story of how that song came to be. And it's the overarching, the the song is really the overarching theme of the whole book. But the whole book is, it's, it's personal testimonies. It's my heart. It is my heart 
on paper. And each chapter always comes around to how it relates to a Bible story, a devotion, and it's it merges because when you're apostolic, our singing it's it's really a testimony. That's that's the truth. And so yeah. it takes these songs that I've written and it it goes deeper and it I'm able to share the story behind it, but so much more than that. That's it. That's really what I'm just, I'm so passionate about right now. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Am I leaving a legacy? Jeremy, do you have a question you're asking yourself lately? Um, so the last couple of weeks, probably what has been on my mind the most is a story out of the Old Testament about King Asa. I believe he was the third king of Judah. And in most in most respects, he was considered for most of his life and reign as king to be on the short list of, of new kings. Scripture records that he did that which was right in the Lord, which that right there sets him in the minority among most of the kings of Israel and Judah. Uh, so many of them right. did that which was evil. He was um, attacked by an Ethiopian army of a million men. And King Asa exemplified um, absolute trust in God by coming to the Lord, seeking direction, what should I do? The Lord delivered this million-man army. And as a result of that, there was a, a period of rest and peace that the Lord placed upon Judah because of, of Asa's complete trust in God and his effort to remove idolatry and the worship of strange gods from the land. Yet with all of this blessing and all of this favor that God had put upon him, and after all this time of rest and, and peace, Judah is faced with yet another foe. The king of Israel begins building a fortified city on the border of Israel and Judah, and that city would cut off traffic so to speak, uh, between Israel and Judah. And rightfully so, King Asa decides that something must be done. But King Asa makes a terrible mistake. Rather than hitting his knees, seeking the Lord for direction and counsel, Asa takes the silver and the gold out of the temple, and he uses those things as bribes to the king of Syria, I believe it was. And rather than turning to God for help, against his adversary, King Asa, who knew what God can do, who knew the ability of God, he turned and put his trust in the ability of man. And he depended upon the king of Syria to help him defeat that which had come against him. And so with this on my mind the last couple of weeks, I, I would say the question is, in, in what area of my life, in what way am I distrusting the Lord and by doing so relying on my flesh? In what way am I bypassing everything about God that I know to be true and all the things that I know God is able to do? In what way am I disregarding that and leaning upon the ability of, of man? That's something that I think all of us have to be aware of because it's so easy to to depend upon ourselves in the areas where we know we can supply the need or we can do what needs to be done, where we need to realize that Scripture directs us to trust in the Lord at all times. 
to lean not to yeah. our own understanding, even if we are capable. And I, 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 that, to me, that is one of the remarkable things of the story of King Asa. He made the decision not to trust God. He relied upon the ability of himself and the ability of the king of Syria, and they succeeded. They succeeded. They're, they were successful mm. in, in uh, freeing themselves from uh, King Basha of Israel. They, they took all of the building supplies and the materials that King Basha was using to build that city. They took those things and things of their own. So they were successful in in their endeavor. And even though it was contrary to what God would have willed, they mistrusted God, but God allowed them to be successful. And hmm. we can never feel justified when we depend upon our flesh and and yet it succeeds. We can't take that mm-hmm. as God's approval. Yeah. That is nothing that is nothing less mm-hmm. than the mercy of God. Uh, God could have judged Asa immediately. God could have withheld success from him, but the mercy of God allowed Asa to prosper even though he mistrusted God. And then later in the story, prophet comes and and confronts because God will never let sin go unconfronted. Sin must always be dealt with. The prophet comes and yeah. and and in so many words, tells Asa, um, if God gave you victory over a million-man army of the Ethiopians, why why couldn't he give you victory here? You you have done foolishly. So Asa is a good king for so many years. Asa makes one bad mistake. He trusts man instead of God. The prophet comes to correct him, and he rejects the rebuke of the prophet and makes the same mistake again. So Asa never learns from his failure. He never corrects his mistakes. In the end of his life, when the word Mm. of God, the word of the man of God was sent to get him back on the right track, it should have brought forth repentance like it did when Nathan confronted David. But yet he, he chose to make the same mistake. And so the question that I guess says to put it in the form of a question, what's been in my mind is in what area am I leaning upon myself? In in what area am I not completely trusting God? And and are there failures, are there mistakes in my life that I am not allowing the word of God to correct in me? And by doing so, I just create a cycle and I I just repeat the same mistake over and over. Yeah. Wow. It's a great, a great uh, thing to think about and to reflect on because you know, we can we can have it all going really good and trusting God in every area. And then there's just this one thing where we're just holding on to it. Um, that was Abraham's whole thing, too. Right. Like, I can trust you for my finances, Lord. But um, this whole promise about a son, I'm going to have to take that into my own hands. Yeah, exactly. Phew, we, we bring all kinds of problems in our lives when we when we do yeah, that exactly. kind of thing. So that's a really great thing to think about. I have enjoyed so much chatting with you guys. Thank you for coming on um, and sharing with us today. The last thing I'll ask you is if there's a way people want to be able to find your music, to find your books, um, to, to get you scheduled to come and sing and preach for them, where can they, where can they find you? So um, pretty much everything that you could want to find is on our website, jeremyandjaminhart.com. You can, you can purchase books uh, there CDs, you purchase digital downloads. Um, we just uh, released a, a DVD that we were a part of. I think there's 10 different apostolic artists. Um, it was filmed live at a uh, Praise in the Smokies event last year. 
um, and put onto a, a DVD format. So that's available um, to purchase on our website. Just uh, there where something Oh, thank you for allowing us. It was our pleasure. All right. Well, we will make sure we share links for all of that uh, for people to come and find you again. Thank you so much for being with us today. There were so many nuggets of wisdom in what the hearts had to share with us. Some of them we didn't even have time to dive all the way into, but I loved their thoughts on following your calling, pursuing your passion, even when the audience is small or the opportunity doesn't seem to lead to anything. I loved what they said about letting God direct you and also that quick but powerful advice from Jamin to keep some of the things the Lord tells us to ourselves for a while. I loved hearing how the Lord is using them to balance each other out in the creative process and their perspective on being in relationship with people who believe differently. All of this was such great stuff to think about. And that's all before we got to their good questions. So, wow. I know this episode is probably going to spark a conversation in your life this week. If you want to check out their music, their DVDs or books, you can follow the link in our show notes to their website. If you enjoyed this episode, would you do me a favor and share it with a friend? If you share on social media, please tag us so we can see it. Some days your tags and shares are just the boost we need as we work on making these episodes for you. We're on Instagram at Good Question Show and I'm at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can also find us on Facebook by searching Good Questions with Jessica Tandra Podcast. Our email address is goodquestionshow at gmail.com. And to follow along with Team Tandra on our swiftly, and I do mean swiftly approaching short-term missions adventure to Denmark, we're at Tandrups for Denmark on Instagram and Facebook. That's Tandrups with an S, the number four, Denmark. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media. It's produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup, my co-producer, editor, and the man who is the practical level head to my emotional creativity and who definitely balances me out and makes this whole project better is my husband, Dave Tanderup. Our audio engineer is Josh Powalczyk. That's it for this week. We will be back here next Tuesday with another good question. See y'all then.